0: Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nahamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nahamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.maconmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message.
1: So these are, as I, I, I'm always most uncomfortable, as I always, I say this every time, sooner or later I should stop. I like to have a clear, crystal clear outline of how we're, what we're going to talk about and how it all looks. And so when God tells me you're not going to have a crystal clear outline, you're just going to talk, that could go way off when I get to start talking. So we're relying on the Ruach HaKodesh today to share some things. We are going to get back to Hebrews. We, when we do that, we'll be talking about Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of Shalem, and the Melchizedek priesthood. However, as you know, um, I just returned from a little trek, literally, literally across the world. Um, and so, I'll, Shabbat Shalom and G'day, mate. That's about all I brought home in terms of the ability to talk like an Australian. <laughs> I listened to their accents. I just, I, I love foreign accents, but I love English and Australian accents in particular. And there was the little girl, one of the Craig Heppelwhite, who is the, the Australian kind of Torah club director. His little daughter, her name was Dominique. She had the strongest Australian accent, but this little kid worked incessantly to make sure that that conference was, was amazing. Like, I I have not seen a 10-year-old do what this kid did, and she did it with such unbelievable joy. So I just had the pleasure of hearing a lot of Australians and South Africans and Indonesians and just all kinds of people, and it was amazing. And, you know, I thought, so I come back and, you know, going to share this little bit of, if, if I'm going to go across the world and do something for the kingdom of God, I thought, you probably should should know something about it you know what what's going on and then then I thought to myself but if I was sitting in their chairs would I actually care like that's that's your thing you're doing that I don't really care how does that affect me well what I want to tell you today is that it does affect you it affects us all because there is a major and big thing happening in the world around us. Some great things and some horrible things. And we need to be prepared for both of them. And so this this matters to you and the season and the future and the coming kingdom and everything is relevant. And so I wanted to just, we're coming into this, we're coming into the holiday of Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, the giving of the Ruach HaKodesh. And we sang, Ki Torah." The Torah must go out of Zion. So I wanted to share with you just a few of the people I met and the, the impact that happened, but I want to make it relevant for you. And in the beginning, I can't do that. I just have to share some stories with you, but most people like stories. So we were flying over. Uh, Ryan Lambert and I went. Ryan, a rabbi in Atlanta, where the prices are headed next to celebrate Shavuot. Um, We flew over, and, and amazingly and interestingly, in a plane of 350 people, there were Ryan and I, and on the way over, a Jewish lady sitting in our row who we got to talk about, you know, what we do. On the way back, in a plane of 336 people, there was an 80-year-old Jewish lady sitting in our row of three. Husband was a Holocaust survivor. She asked us, what do you do? We provide teaching, messianic Jewish teaching for Christians and Jews. We're helping them to understand the power of the Torah and the Old Testament. And she had tons of questions and. At the end of it, she had shared her whole life story with us and shared everything about how she had struggled and how she's been trying to, she's been through everything. And we, ordered, we had kosher meals on the plane and she began to apologize profusely because in the row with two rabbis, she didn't have kosher food. <laughs> we didn't care, of course. Because we had the opportunity to impact her life. And Ryan, being Ryan, gave her a card, took her on the Torah Club website and showed her all about what we were doing and how it could impact her. And when she left, she said, I want to thank you so much for this flight. I'm 80 years old. I traveled to Australia. I've got another seven-hour flight to get to New York when I get home. But this flight has been amazing. And I'll go to the website and I'll check it out seeds, my friends, seeds. So the conference was called Mahut, APAC, Asia Pacific. There were 85 people there. That doesn't sound like a lot. It's a whole bunch of people for an area like Australia, which doesn't know much of anything, really. There are, there are tons of, well, that sounds horrible, Australia knows a lot, and they're very, very intelligent people. And um, I was shocked by all of the great, you know, amazing careers and and intellect that surrounded me. But Messianic Judaism in a healthy form is not really that well known. There are a lot of Hebrew roots congregations there. There's a lot of confusion in some ways. As a matter of fact, I gave a lecture that I, I stole from Toby Janicki called Hills to Die On which is about the things in Messianic Judaism that we need to understand and be prepared to defend. Replacement theology was the whole basic concept of this this conference, that we need to be prepared, we need to recognize it, we need to be prepared to face and battle against the demonic idea of replacement theology. Do you know how embedded replacement theology is in people's mindsets? They don't even know it. And if you asked them, they'd say, I don't believe that at all. And then you listen to a preaching or a series or you ask them a series of questions and it's just like oozing out of their pores and they have no idea. And so a big part of our job there was to go and to educate about replacement theology and the dangers of one law theology and the dangers of sacred name theology, telling people that they have to be named, they have to be saved in some pronunciation of God's name, which is completely and totally contradictory to the Bible and more importantly, the words of our master Yeshua. So we spent time talking about all these things. We spent time giving people a healthy messianic Jewish identity across the world. It took 23 hours to get there, between here and there and every other thing. And I met a guy named Yusak, who was from Indonesia. I don't know if he'll listen to this, but he has a very strong Indonesian accent. But what I really understood about Yusak was a heart and a desperation for God. And that is always it seems to be the way it is from people around the world. We have it so doggone good that we just tend to to glance over the things that happen and go on around us and the freedoms that we have But one of the things that was so incredibly profound about USAC, and this goes to the the point of explaining how confused the world is and how dangerous it is in our country and across the world to tell Gentiles that they need to be Jews and to have Jews feel like they have to become Christians. And that's been going on for 2,000 years. And it's really complicated Yusak came up to me afterwards, and he basically, what he said was, in his strong Indonesian accent, but I heard it loud and clear, I want to thank you so much for letting me understand why I don't have to be Jewish to be a participant in the kingdom of God. You know, Pentecostalism in Australia is, that is what Australia is. We were invited to a college which educates, up to this point, has educated all of Hillsong's Bible degrees, and it's part of the Pentecostal movement. And the director of this college invited Ryan and I to come and speak. It was actually a connection made through Craig's wife. And we went into this boardroom, to meet with PhDs and all of these movers and shakers and the director of this, this college that educates Pentecostal people. And the idea was, I don't know if you guys will change anything we think. And the beginning of the conversation, the dean said, these views that these guys represent do not reflect the views of our particular college. But... I felt it was imperative to begin the discussion. And so all of these guys asked us questions about messianic Judaism and they called it messianic spirituality. Can you explain to us the, you know, how what what is the importance of messianic spirituality? So we had a two-hour conversation with these movers and shakers at this Pentecostal Bible college centered in Brisbane, Australia, that's affecting thousands of people. From there, we went to one of the most miraculous events of my entire life. That may sound dramatic, and you may have had to be there. But an 80-something-year-old couple by the name of John and Joan, who were Salvation Army officers all of their lives, who traveled everywhere to make disciples of Yeshua, have been heavily impacted by Messianic Judaism, and particularly in this case, by First Roots of Zion and their resources, and particularly Hayasod, the foundation. So they launched a Hayasod class at this Salvation Army church, And we walked in the door, Ryan and I and Craig, who was our chauffeur, and the whole room lit up with joy, smiles, and they just stood up and clapped for us when we walked in. It was so incredibly humbling. 85-year-old people, special needs people, 90-year-old people in this room, so incredibly engaged with God through Messianic Jewish teaching that they rose to their feet to say thank you for what you've brought and thank you for being here. 85-year-old lady who stood up and said, I so much wish I would have known about this so long ago. It would have changed my life forever. And my message to her was, be thankful that you know now because for such a time as this. And we shared with them for just a little while, but the joy and the presence of the Spirit of God in that room was unbelievable. We met with a pastor who had left a church that he had built over the years, thousands of people, I think, in this church. And he retired, why? Because he wanted to make a difference for Israel. So he gave that up and walked away from it and and now works in Brisbane, helping to, to, to raise money for Jews to make Aliyah. So he gave up his everything to do that. And God's blessing him. And his son was there. Who gave a, um, started a church two and a half months ago? Young guy, passionate guy, really nice, really intelligent, named Kyle. Two and a half months, he's got 200 people in his church. That's not bad. We've been here for 10 years. (laughs) So we had lunch. And then I was in the airport flying home from Brisbane and I got this email from Kyle and I just wanted to read it to you because I want you to understand all of this is working toward a point, hopefully. He said, um, thank you so much for spending time with us over the weekend. I know how valuable you know the message that you bring is, but now I do too. And then he says how critical it was. And he talks about, he says it was critical for broad mission clarity. The message was critical. The message of replacement theology and combating it. But here's what he says. Personal mission clarity. A guy, probably in his 20s, I'm not sure, who's just really starting and had this to say about his future. I now know for the first time in my life a fuller picture as to what I am called. For, for as to what I am called for. I know that God has spoken to me previously about starting a church and not having full clarity on what that even was. And even in receiving the name kingdom for our community, I wasn't sure why. Now I am. I have clarity of identity, clarity of purpose, and a pathway to see that come to fruition. I believe that God has spoken to me previously about preparing the nations for the return of Yeshua. And I was always confused as to how that would take place. How arrogant our Western Gentile thinking had become. To conclude on that thought, thank you for your time. It was so valuable for us, for our community, and for our nation. And that's powerful. So he and his dad. We were hosted by a church there and the pastor named Tony was a remarkable man who the three days after his mother was diagnosed with lung cancer, his father died unexpectedly. This was all in the last two months. And yet he had the joy of the Lord and was so incredibly thankful and honored that what was going to happen in Australia was going to happen in his church the day after the conference he hosted a team of all of his leaders and his question was tell me what you tell me if you believe in replacement theology to which they all said no and then he asked them some questions to which every one of their questions said yes we do And Tony's response to me when he told that story is, I now know the work that we have to do, and I'm ready to start. So he's launching into a a vision and a mission and a purpose to battle replacement theology in Australia. An 87-year-old man who had more insight about Messianic Jewish things than he was a total Christian. Totally. Totally but asked me questions and then would answer his own questions with better answers that I could give. So I just said... (laughs) Those are the conversations where you don't say anything, your hand does the talking, and they walk away and say, boy, that guy is really good to talk to. (laughs) But he sent me this email... And he said, it was my great pleasure to meet with you. And he says some things about 87 years in personal development and business career. I've never been more challenged and encouraged than, than by what I am now. It is my privilege to partner with you in the vision and the goals you aligned. At 87 years of age and living alone, his wife passed away just this last year. I'm probably limited in what I can actually do, but I will do what I can to promote the vision and Torah Club. Eighty-seven-year-old people coming on board with Messianic Judaism. Class of amazing people at the Salvation Army. Young pastors. USAC. I had an Indian lady who came up to me, and she was just in tears, and she said, "You know, I just I, my husband. I lost everything when I came to this country. I'm slowly rebuilding, and then my husband died." And I have been so alone. And because of being here, I don't feel alone. And I'm ready. I want to go out and I want to start a class for women who are alone like me and help them connect to these things. Just thing after thing after thing after thing that happened like that. And so you're saying, well, that's good for you, Damien. I told you. uh, What does this have to do with me? Well, it has a lot to do with you. By the way, there was a French lady there who asked some pretty, like, she, did, she had some questions in the Q&A that she, it was obvious she wasn't really that excited about what we were talking about. And I got an email from the French lady when I got home that said, I started Torah Club three weeks ago. I want my money back. I don't like what you're talking about. That's there too. But that was the only one but there's always got to be one, right? What in the world does this have to do with you? Well, here's a strange segue. I came home and Kelly told me, Elvis is very sick. Elvis is our Shih Tzu. He's our... Eleven-year-old Shitzu, and she said he's really sick. And Annabelle, the day I, the day I had gotten into L.A., I had flown in, and they were going to come up and meet me. She said Elvis is really sick, and Annabelle just threw up. She's sick, and Taylor's got to work tonight, so I just don't know, I don't know. I want to be there, so thank God there's a shuttle service, and I was able to get home anyway. But it was it was just the beginning of. You know, Satan's relentless attack, and I am never one, never one, who's going to give Satan credit where credit is not due and people do it way too much. Devil made me do it. No, you didn't. No, he didn't. You wanted to do it, and so you chose to do it. But he is relentless in little things that he does. But we We buried our puppy yesterday because he was very sick. And uh, I never, I'm 6'3", I lift heavy weights, I'm strong. And this 11 pound puppy destroyed me. He wasn't a puppy, he was our puppy. But it destroyed me. Had to put him to sleep, had to be in the room, wanted to be in the room. And then I had to take him and you know, I dug his grave and I had to take his body and put him in there and it, gosh man, all day and all night Friday night, I thanked him for being our Shabbat dog. He was our Shabbat dog. Every time, every, every Homozi. And anyone who's been to my house who knew Elvis, every Shabbat when Hamotzi began, he began to howl. <laughs> waiting for his piece of challah. And everyone at the table gave Elvis a piece of challah, so he was quite content. So he chose Friday night. Friday. And you know, it's an interesting thing, and this is a side note, but the way that God gives comfort when we hurt. Out by the sign um, is Kelly's dad's ashes are actually there's a little memorial plaque by the sign because Roger Miller loved this place, loved it. And so Barbara Kelly's mom wanted to have his, him be always kind of, obviously he's not here, but. And I was pulling in and and I, you know, realized that God gave me a vision. Roger loved Elvis too, very much. And I I have to believe that God knows the joy that we have in our animals. And it's the movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven. You know, it's kind of a funny segue for a Shabbat. But I just have to believe that even in God's love for us. And so what I saw was just a vision. Because I brought Elvis here and I buried him in our woods because I wanted to just have him around, even though he's not around. But I had this vision of Elvis breaking into glory. (laughs) And Roger was there. Every time Roger came, Elvis would also howl because he knew Roger was gonna give him a treat, hang out and play with him. So I just knew that's what was happening yesterday. But what in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, more personal story. We sold our house and we moved. We had this big plan where we were gonna sell our house and move into another particular house and we sold our house, but that house fell through the other one. So we now live in an apartment and that's always fun. But, you know, Elvis was part of our house on Castlegate. That was where we lived for 16 years. All our kids grew up there. That also was incredibly depressing to leave that behind. And, and, and I wanted to, you know, I thought, well, gosh, it would have been better to, for Elvis to die on Castlegate. No, it's just the way it is. Everything that happened even in this, even in this tragedy, it's not a tragedy, it's death. It's life and death, but it's the way it is. But even in it, God reveals something to me. He helped me see something through the tears and through the, the, the castlegate disaster. And often the things that we need to see are seen through tears. Have you noticed that? It's just the way life works. But he helped me see something coming home from Australia and all those things that I just told you, and then coming into this disaster and saying goodbye to my dog and all this. What he helped me see is that's the end of a particular chapter. And we have a book of life that is our life, and there are many chapters within it, and they come to a close. And Elvis and Castlegate were synonymous. So Elvis left because he is no longer the master of Castlegate. (laughs) But that's what I realized in Australia and coming home. And that's what has to do with you. Because this congregation will be 10 years old this year. We still don't have 200 people like uh, like this pastor who's been at it for two and a half months. I could care less about how many people we have. There is a chapter in my life personally that has come to a close. Linda Plowden sent me an email when Darren sent this thing out yesterday and said, I want to share my heart with you tomorrow. Her Her, her response, she sent me an email and said, Is this when you tell us you're leaving? No. It's not when I tell you I'm leaving. We bought another house. We're not going anywhere. But a particular chapter closed, and it's always hard when that happens, unless there's something to go to. And our work, Kelly and I's work in Macon, Georgia, Just another chapter has opened up. But it's not our work. It's our work. And a little taste of that took place for all of those people in Australia. But what I realized is I have somehow not passed that on enough to you guys that it's our work. This congregation is not ours, it's ours. This city or the city you live in, whether it's Atlanta or Milledgeville or wherever it is, Warner Robins, Byron, that's all of our cities where we need to have an impact because the chapter that we know as believers in the United States has Closed. We are in a very different situation. And you remember, I think I shared you this story with you about Jonathan Sachs. Did I tell you when he went to see the Rebbe at Chabad? And he was a he was an all knowing philosophy student from Cambridge University, and he showed up at, at Chabad. He had heard good things were going on, so he showed up there and he went and he said, I want to see the Rebbe. And they died laughing and said, <laughs> Who are you? Do you know how many thousands of people are waiting to see the Rebbe? And Jonathan Sack said, well, I'll be traveling in the U.S. for three weeks. If something opens up, give me a call. They gave him a call in L.A., and said, the Rebbe will see you. So he got on a bus from LA to Brooklyn and drove all the way back to Chabad so that he could go in and meet with Rebbe Schneerson because he had heard about these things that were happening here and he wanted to know more. So he began the interview process of this illustrious tzaddik of Judaism and said, tell me what's, tell me about this and this and this and this. And politely, the Rebbe, this is the Rebbe who met with Ronald Reagan and the prime ministers of Israel and all, all kinds of people who's meeting with a college kid from England who's interviewing him. And at one point he stopped him dead and said, okay, now my turn. And he began to ask him the questions, what are you doing for Judaism? What are you doing to encourage Jew- Jews on college campuses? What impact are you having in the world? And Sachs reports in this fine English upstanding accent where you can make anything sound good if you say it in an English or Australian accent. He begins to give him this excuse and he says, well, the situation I find myself in, to which the rabbi stopped him cold, which was very uncharacteristic because he was smart and he was a listener, and he stopped him cold and peered at him with those piercing blue eyes, Jonathan Sachs, after saying, well, the situation I find myself in, stop. No one finds themselves in a situation. You put yourself in a situation. And if you don't like that situation, you change the situation. And Jonathan Sachs says, that changed my life that day. And it's changed thousands of lives because millions of lives. He, Jonathan Sachs, because of that day, has changed your life because he changed my life. And I share my change with you and God willing, we're all changing. But the point is, the chapter we have known is closed. There is a mission and I got a little taste of it to see it across the world. We must undertake the mission. Oh gosh, Damien, come on. So you're excited about it. That'll wear off. No, I don't want it to wear off. I want it to rub off on you. You know, first fruits of Zion, I, like yeah, first fruits of Zion, I work for fruits first fruits. It's a great thing. First fruits is not our congregation but they have impact here. And what First Roots has done is that they have created now a worldwide impact. We need to create a local impact because people are dying on the vine. Dying on the vine. How do we do it? I don't know exactly because I can't have all the answers. Yeshua gave us this mission and said, Go and make disciples, teaching them all that I know, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. Well, we've done a pretty good job of part two. But part one, they're dying on the vine. Millennials, I read an amazing thing where millennials aren't really totally disengaged. Young people aren't really totally disengaged. They're just not gonna walk in that door. But what they're dying for is a one-on-one conversation. That's how they want to learn about God. Way more than people our age in my age and older way more they want to have one-on-one conversations. So let me just give you one starting point. Right there, have a one-on-one conversation with someone about what God has shown you. It's not difficult. And you just never know. It could be a Jewish Holocaust survivor sitting on your row on your plane home from Australia. And she just might go to the website and say, oh my goodness, Yeshua is the Messiah. 80 years it's taken me, but I found him. And I'm, I'm, I'm careful about how I promote First Fruits of Zion because I don't ever want you to think that, you know, I, my, my loyalties are divided. I'm the rabbi of this congregation. You are the people that I care and shepherd. I take care of you. I love you all. But I can tell you, walking around Australia and talking to those people, the things that they've interacted with, particularly like how you sowed, are how they have started this journey. We can do that. We can have in your circles of influence, you can have a how you sewed class. And you can do it with the people you know, and you can impact them. And God only knows what happens from there. And so, how does this impact you? It is our work. It is not about me going to Australia and having some glory moments and thinking I'm famous, it's about our work and taking on the Great Commission for real. I went to Australia to do that. Where will you go? It may be Cracker Barrel on Riverside Drive to meet somebody for coffee. I don't know what it is. But man, there's a new chapter for us that we must write That, as I said, was a little taste. What would bring me the greatest joy is for us to have, all of us, to have those kind of conversations with the people we're impacting in this world. We can do it. We just gotta get started. We have families, we have travel, we have work, we have every other reason and thing under the sun why it can't work. We're celebrating the giving of the Ruach HaKodesh tonight. I don't want to be too Pentecostal for you, but that's all you really need to get started. (laughs) That's what they had. They had the Torah... Yeshua died, was resurrected, and said, stay here, I'm going to give you something great. And he gave it to them. And that's what they had. And they changed the world. They wrote a new chapter. And we can, because we are drawing on the same power. So it has everything to do with you. Ki mitzion teitzei Torah, B'Shem Yeshua. The word of the Torah shall go forth from Zion in the name of Yeshua. Shabbat shalom. Good day, mates.
0: We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nahumu Ami by visiting our website at www.MaconMessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.